Welcome to I'd Rather Stay In with your hosts, Megan Myers and Steffi Fredmore. This week, we're talking about chronic illness with our guest, Jenna Hahn. Stay tuned. Do you love listening to I'd Rather Stay In and want to support the podcast? Well, now you can. Visit our website or the link in our Instagram profile and click buy me a coffee or visit buymeacoffee.com slash IRSI podcast. For the price of a cup of coffee, you can help us cover the costs of creating this podcast. There are no monthly memberships and you can support us at whatever level you like, whenever you like. Whether you buy us one coffee, many coffees, or simply continue listening as always, we're so grateful for your support. Hi, Steffi. So I did the thing. I did I did the scary thing last week. I went mm-hmm. and I auditioned for the show. And I was not cast, which like I had already like prepared myself for and was a hundred percent cool with. Um, but I did I did the scary thing. I did the scary thing. Um so That's awesome. I just wanted to follow up. Yeah, I it was actually it was uh interesting because the gal that was like sitting closest to me. Um, she was, she's like pretty close to, she's like somewhere in, uh, you know, our general age range ish. And, um, she had never auditioned for anything before. Like she even said that she was homeschooled. And so she like hadn't even done anything like when she was in high school or anything like that. And it was just always on her bucket list. That's something that she wanted to try. And it was really just delightful speaking to her because, she just had such a great attitude about it. She was like, yeah, like, I know I'm not going to get cast. Like, I, there's so many people here that are so much better than me. But, like, I could just see, just, like, watching everyone else, I could see all of these ways that I could, like, improve, you know, get better and grow at this if I wanted to come back and try it again. And I was like, that's amazing. And I told her, I was like, I don't think you understand that auditioning is actually the hard part. Like the performing <laughs> is not the hard part because you've done a lot of practice in the performing. It's the auditioning right. when you're coming in blind and you don't know what the fuck they're doing or what the fuck they're looking for. That's actually the scary part. And so I just like really encouraged her. I was like, I think it's awesome that you came out and you did this. And like, this is, this is the scary thing. So um, it was a nice reminder for myself as well. So anyway, did the scary thing, um, and that's that. So wanted to follow up and let everyone know that I that I did it. I did it. Did they send you the nice email? No, I think they must have gotten my email address wrong because oh, well, no. <laughs> well because like when they were like kept reading off my name, I clearly had written Steffi, and the director kept calling me Stephanie, which low key drives me insane. Like. Like if someone says it the first time, sometimes like that'll happen. Sometimes will be people will be like Stephanie, and then they'll look at the paper again and they'll be like, "Oh my gosh, so sorry, Steffi," because mm-hmm. they'll realize like there's no a n in there. But she like just kept doing it, and so I'm like, "Did you all put like email Stephanie Predmore?" Because if that person exists, she ain't me. Like if that's right. an email address, it ain't mine. So I don't know. But I I actually ended up like messaging them on Facebook yesterday and being like, "So I never got." the email with like how to volunteer and do like backstage stuff you could like connect me so (laughs) here's my actual email address so i don't know but whether uh i end up like helping with this show or maybe like helping with costumes they're doing um jesus christ superstar next which i don't care to audition for because i don't particularly like that show 
Um, but I might there's not like, a lot of uh, there's like one good role for women in that show. So literally, I mean, legitimately. <laughs> so um, I, yeah, and it's just like I don't know. It's just not my favorite. So um, like I'd rather wait and audition when they do Cinderella like early next year. Um, but I might audition like for or I might uh, volunteer to do like costs help with costumes or something like that. And that's a good way to like just get to know the people in the theater and for them to get to know you because it is actually really hard um, to like kind of break into a community theater bubble because they tend to be very like, here's the pool of people that we know and we'll just keep mm-hmm. casting the people that we know. So you kind of have to like, worm your way in a little bit especially if especially as a woman men can just show up and breathe and they're like yes go on stage oh man yeah i am i'm still salty about the fifth grade play (laughs) (laughs) in which we had auditions and then we had callbacks and one of the boys did not even show up to callbacks shut up and they cast him over me because he was a boy. Like, literally. Yep. And yep. I was, I'm still angry about it. And that was I'm mad about fifth it now, grade. too, for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But men can just, like, because there's never, there's almost never enough men. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, especially if it's a musical. And oh, yeah. It was a musical. So. Especially if they're tenors. There's never mm. enough tenors. So if, like, a tenor shows up and he just, like, breathes, they're like, yes! <laughs> you're, you're cast in the lead role. So. Also, yeah. he was, like, the actual, like, one talented boy of the whole group anyway. But it's so just I, like, annoying that he didn't even show annoying. up. And you're yeah. like, you didn't even do the thing you were supposed to do and here you are so i feel you that you ruin an 11 year old's life god damn uh what's <laughs> what's what's new with you megan <laughs> um i got distracted earlier surprise surprise uh-huh. um you know my my door in my office has these lovely it's a french door situation and has these lovely um top and bottom locks uh-huh uh Victorian lock style, whatever, but the bottom panel is missing and therefore the bottom lock is technically broken. And also there's no hole in the ground for it anymore because they covered it up. But Uh I would like to get a new panel at least to cover up this ugly wood hole in my door. It is just a hole. It's just a hole with like a rod sticking out of it. (laughs) And so I mentioned it to my husband that like we need to replace this piece because I'm sure you can. And he was like, they don't exist. And like, watch me. <laughs> so now I'm like deep into like vintage hardware websites and very distracted. And oh, uh, that's forgot a, to that come online when hole. it was time to record. <laughs> yeah, that's a real rabbit hole. Because like you could see, because you, you get on those websites and you're looking for one thing and then mm-hmm. you see something else and then you scroll over there and then many rooms later you're like what was the original thing that i was coming on here to look for Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. um the the main issue that i'm having is that i don't know what it's actually called Mm. so Mm -hmm. i really just have to scroll through a lot of pages yeah because whole cover thingamabobber is probably not going to get you very far (laughs) if i had to guess i mean yes yes and there are like top and bottom lock things but they're not the same and 
I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'll have to do more searching, but I am almost positive I can find a replacement. Yes. Or, or at least something to make it not look Something. Janky. Like, I don't... It doesn't have to work. It can literally just be a panel yes. that matches. I don't care. Right. right. <laughs> just has to look okay. That's all I care about. Yeah. It was Form basically just like... It was just another lesson in, like, are you going to prove me wrong? Let's see about that. <laughs> <sighs> basically your marriage in a nutshell uh-huh yeah mm-hmm. yeah that sounds about right <laughs> so living with one chronic illness much as multiple freaking blows um it's not fun and especially if you have you know what's often referred to as an invisible illness it can be really hard to get the people around you to understand why it's hard While Steffi obviously has some insight into what this is like, we've invited today's guest to lend another voice to this experience. Please welcome Jenna Hahn. Hello. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thanks for joining us today, Jenna. Let's tell our listeners a little about yourself. Yeah. um, So I live in California, born and raised. I'm 32. uh, Middle of five girls. So grew up with a lot of estrogen around me. And I've been married for five years now. My husband and I are big pity lovers. So we've got a pity boy and two kitties and four chickens. We lucked out having a rather large uh, plot here in Sacramento, actually right next door to one of Steffi's best friends. Um, And so I'm just always happiest when I'm outside with the animals or in my garden. Um, Definitely a water baby, uh, you know, being Californian and I'm always happy to be in water, especially having chronic illness. That's one of my places of respite. Um, But I'm also kind of a a proud nerd. And the last about a little over 10 years, I've been working in um, social and environmental impact, uh, things like climate change, environmental justice, policy work. Um, And I've actually just recently taken a step back from that because I've needed to focus on my health. Um, So this podcast is perfect timing. Um, But yeah, I've lived with chronic pain and illness for most of my life, um, and most of which has been invisible. And I have gone through different phases where I've kind of learned to, you know, keep things to myself or be overly positive or um, because especially as a child, it was hard to explain to kids or adults what was going on. And now as I'm, you know, stepping into my 30s, I'm really trying to own more of my truth and also realize that people can't read my mind and I have to, you know, when it's appropriate, share what's going on <clears throat> if I expect the people in my life to, you know, understand better. So I'm happy to be here and I've got lots of thoughts. So happy <laughs> to dive in. Uh, before we before we get into this, Megan, I just have to tell you because we have a we have a thread between myself and then uh, Jenna and Kathleen, who's her next door neighbor, and then our other friend Ade, and uh, Ade had sent something. It was an Instagram reel or something about like bears and camping, and she's like, "Just another reason why I don't go outside." And sweet Jenna, <laughs> you were like, "You just have to camp in black bear territory. It's so much better than grizzly territory. After we've got all the camping gear, we're ready whenever you are." Yeah, like, black bears are no I big deal. You, but that will that will be never. That will be. That will be never. I will ne- I will never be camping. Stuffy won't even go camping in no bear territory. So <laughs> literally, 
<laughs> you guys, like literally when I first met my husband, one of the like talking points that when I was telling girlfriends and stuff, I'd be like, oh my God, he's so perfect, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I was one who usually did not wear my heart on my sleeve. So this was a big change. But one of the things I was most excited about was like, you guys, he has camping gear for like a family of 10. This is going to work out. <laughs> There is a lid for every pot. I that for you. <laughs> well, my family loves camping, so we'll go camping. Okay, with Megan, you. you and I, let's go to Black Bear territory. You, I don't need to. You guys could go camping, and Addie and I will just, like, not go outside. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Although, ironically, she's, like, the queen of SPF and, like, all the different, you know, sunscreen. She'll make sure that you have all of the sunscreen for your trip. <sighs> perfect. And then we will make sure that we wear our sunscreen while we sit by the window. Okay, and mine needs to be biodegradable and reef-friendly because I'm about to swim in some alpine lakes, you know? There you go. (laughs) I'm sure she has some on hand. Oh, 100%, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So can you give us a brief summary of your chronic illness history? (sighs) Yes, okay, so I actually feel kind of ridiculous whenever I'm like, oh, I need to, like, if I have to list things out all at once, and that even, even that feeling of feeling ridiculous, I've, tried to fight because I'm like what is that why am I feeling so dramatic for all these different things and um so I'm gonna try to keep it brief but I I do have kind of a long storied history going back to when I was a little kid um and I have you know both chronic illness and chronic pain which are often intertwined and often reinforce each other unfortunately um so I've had a lot of different kind of complex tests and surgeries and experimental surgeries throughout my life um and so it kind of sometimes it's hard to even pin down like is this a symptom of this disease or of this disease so I'll walk you through (laughs) those two um so like I said it kind of like chronic illness and chronic um pain from different anatomical issues or injuries so the first for chronic illnesses um a couple years ago I was diagnosed with endometriosis I'm actually recovering right now from an excision surgery I had a month ago Um, where they did all sorts of lovely reconstruction to organs and pulled out things the size of grapefruits and things like that. Um, And then I also have interstitial cystitis, which is a chronic bladder health issue, Um, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is connective tissues disorders, um, causes a lot of different kind of problems and hypermobility, Uh, fibromyalgia, which is kind of a catch-all sometimes um, around muscular skeletal and nerve pain. Uh, basically like my brain and nerves don't properly connect. Um, even recently I had, um, I had heating packs on myself, which those with chronic illness, you know, you have your emotional support heating pad. Um, and I couldn't tell the difference of if it was ice or hot. Um, so like my, my nerves just can't, they don't communicate properly a lot of times. Um, And then I'm still doing some work, like I'm still really on some of the diagnosis journey for many things. I'm doing a lot of genetic testing. I mean, some of the things came back recently where they're like, well, you've got some mutations, but we don't have enough studies on them. So we're just gonna say it's not significant right now, but the studies that have been done, like they say this, this, and this about, you know, joint development or whatever. And it's like all things that line up with my other issues. So I'm like, okay, that's kind of helpful. Um, so that's kind of the quick summary of the illness side. And then anatomically, um, I have some joint abnormalities. I was born without my ankle and heel joints and have a history of joint fusions. Um, so a lot of my like metatarsals and my feet were in the wrong places. 
Um, I've had my feet reconstructed many times. I've spent multiple years of my life in casts and on crutches or in wheelchairs, um, which is a very, it's an interesting experience kind of going in and out of um, trying to navigate the world in a wheelchair when you realize the world has very much not been made for wheelchairs very easily. Um, I also have an extra kidney, which has caused interesting problems. Um, I have chronic <clears throat> muscular spasms. Again, it's kind of connected to the nerve issues and nerve damage that I have. Um, it's almost like my nerves are vibrating throughout my abdomen. And I actually just got a bunch of Botox to try to calm it down. Um, one of my, my urogynecologist was like, all right, we got to just paralyze your whole abdomen. Um, and then that's a lot a, of, that's a totally normal thing. to hear. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I got 15 times like the legal amount that can go on a face, like just all in my, all in my stomach, um, which has been very interesting to like, I didn't realize what it's like to just feel like your nerves aren't shaking. Um, but at the same time it comes with some trade-offs. So may not be doing that again. Um, and then I just have a lot of like nerve pain in general, like I said, and migraines and stuff. Um, I had spinal meningitis as an infant and my neurologist, uh, said that basically that damaged my meninges, which are the casings to like your brain and spinal cord and stuff. So that really messes up all the nerves and everything. Um, and then lastly, you know, again, trying to keep this short, but it's kind of, it's unfortunately a long list. Um, just a lot of different GI issues and, most recently, they found that I had just kind of been ignoring my chronic acid reflux. So I was like, oh, this is bottom of my priorities. Um, but I had some complications in surgery, and they found actually that I have significant damage to my esophagus. And now we have to figure that out. So those are kind of the quick, you know, two or three minute rundown of, <laughs> of things. And like I said, they often interact. Um, and it's sometimes hard to just pinpoint which a lot of doctors, you know, it's like they only want to talk about your acid reflux or they only want to talk about your foot surgery or this or that. And they don't think about how, you know, that song, what is it, like your knee bone's connected to your leg bone. Like they, they just like don't look at you as a whole person. They look at like their one issue. So which you would think would literally be like a cornerstone of being a doctor, but, you know, <laughs> apparently not. Details, Steffi, details. Det details. I ask too much of doctors. So, I mean, <laughs> so, I mean you know, like just – from all the stuff that you just said, like there's obviously so many different facets to life with a chronic illness, much less one where you have interconnected chronic illness and chronic pain and different, all these different conditions. Um, but one of the struggles, like you said, you know, you go in and they want to talk about one thing, but they don't necessarily want to talk about this other thing. Um, and that can really lead to a struggle in simply getting a diagnosis. Like, I don't, I don't think that people who are generally healthy really understand how hard getting a diagnosis is and how much of a relief getting a diagnosis can be, even if that's not a great diagnosis. Like I lived and struggled with endometriosis for close to 15 years before I had a diagnosis. And even though that's not a thing you want, even though you're not signing up and being like, I want to have endo, <laughs> having that on my chart was such a relief because I had answers. Mm -hmm. um, and even like for me, <clears throat> when I was 21 and got sick and ultimately was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, like it was a pretty cut and dry, like obvious that this is what I had. And yet it still took weeks to actually be given that diagnosis. So all that mm. to say, like, it can be super complicated. So, 
can you share what getting some of these diagnoses has been like for you? You know, yes. I'm sure some of them were easier than others to get. Um, and how you've had to advocate for yourself in that process because Lord knows you have to. Right. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, the squeaky wheel gets the oil in our healthcare system. Steffi, I, I totally hear you on like kind of the validation that comes with getting a diagnosis. Um, you know, even when it doesn't have a cure or there aren't really things that you can even do to treat it per se, but I have found that getting diagnoses, one, validate my experience, but two, make it so that doctors actually start to listen to me when it's written down. Um, because I have been made to feel crazy for years, uh, since I was a little kid. Like, doctors just really disregarded me. Um, lot of dismissal or, you know, like, oh, you know, you're healthy, you're fine, like, come back to me in six months if it's still bothering you. And that was the end of the conversation. Um, so having things written down has been really nice because I can, like, definitively say, oh, hey, but what about this, like, condition that I have? Or what about, how is this affecting this? Or what medication interactions might happen here? And then they go, oh, shoot, she kind of knows what's happening here. Um, my stepmom actually laughs. She was a physician for, or she still is. She's retired, but now working part-time. And she always says, she's like, oh, yeah, you've been over-medicalized. You don't take any shit anymore. Um, and no. and so, I mean, so it's helpful to have it written down. However, even with that, like, you know, in my list of, I can go into my online, you know, uh, medical website and stuff and, see my ongoing list of conditions and and it's getting longer and longer unfortunately um or fortunately I guess um because it's written down but they so often I'll go to a new doctor because it's almost like a game of hot potato uh like doctors especially primary carers oh my god primary caregivers are like the gatekeepers and for whatever reason they just like don't want you to interact with specialists um, even when you have documented needs for it. Um, and they'll just look at me and be like, oh, you're a healthy 32-year-old woman. I'm sure it's nothing. And I'm like, um, can you please just even look at my chart? Like, just take a quick glance. Like, may, like, don't have to get into detail. Just, like, one quick skim. And you'll see there's, like, multiple things going on. Because they constantly, they just look at me and they'll, like, and I'm like, you're a doctor. There is no look to disability or sickness. Like, mm -hmm. what are you doing just looking at me and being like, I've never met you before. You look healthy. I'm like, what the actual mm -hmm. hell? So it's it's frustrating. I feel like sometimes I'll take a step forward and then two steps back and, you know, or I'll have like inconsistent or cyclical labs. And so they'll be like, and, or they're just like right outside the normal range. So doctors will be like, mm, come back in a year. You know, it's like this constant putting off instead of really trying to dig in. And luckily I have found a few specialists who have just taken me on and been like, oh my gosh, how have we not seen you sooner? Let's get to the bottom of this. And they have been my real advocates. And I can't tell you, like, when that happens, like, I was just crying in my Indo doctor's uh, office just recently out of happiness. I was like, thank you. Yes. Like, you yes. make me feel seen. <laughs> so. Yes, I that happened for me the first time I saw my gastroenterologist because I had been through the ringer. I think at that point I had been diagnosed for, like, two years mm -hmm. and was pretty much sick 
the entirety of that two years and they had just had me on these incredibly high doses of steroids because they were like well we don't know what else to do with you so here's a shitload of steroids like we're talking like 60 milligrams oh my god of prednisone a day were you just insane two years oh i was i was total crazy person i couldn't sleep for i basically didn't sleep for two years it was terrible and i was finishing up college and like starting like my first like year after college after that anyway Mm. i was a hot mess and I walked into Dr. Swanson's office and he was like, there is no reason that you should have been on any steroids, mm-hmm. much less this much. Like, there's all this research to suggest that it actually is doing more harm than good. Like, it was so validating to have him say, like, oh, God, no, why? We're tapering you off and you're never going back on that shit again. Like, I'm never going to do that to you. I was, I was like, I could kiss you right now. <laughs> like... <laughs> You're like, please never leave me. I will follow you to the ends of the earth. Please never, ever, ever leave me. Oh, yeah. I, it, it is truly, it feels like you've hit the lottery when you find a yes. good doctor. Yeah. And actually, one of my doctors recently was referencing another doctor who shall not be named. And she goes, yeah, he's yeah. a shithead. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And I was like, I, yeah. we're already friends. Like, this is going to be good. So. Yep. <laughs> I feel that. So getting a diagnosis is incredibly important, obviously, but it's really just the beginning of the road. So what has been your experience with learning to accept that you will live the rest of your life with chronic conditions? Yeah, uh, it's it's complex. Um, honestly, I think in the beginning it was validating or constantly it's validating, right, to have a name to what's going on to the pain that's happening in your body or strange symptoms that doctors couldn't figure out before but there's also a lot of like a grieving process almost um and even just saying that I've had to overcome this idea of like oh I'm being dramatic um you know because people are like oh you're still living your life you have all this and that you're not dying um there's always this like comparison of it could be worse um but really I've come to terms with like thank you therapy, um, that, you know, my life is going to look different than what I thought, um, especially around, you know, knowing that growing my family is going to look really different than my husband and I originally expected. Um, I know I'm going to be spending countless hours in tests and in getting procedures done, poked and prodded, more surgeries, you know, just really, there's just so much exhaustion that comes with constantly having medical interventions or making medical decisions um and I've really had to learn to like live in duality um where I can you know feel two things at once or multiple things at once um even if they feel conflicting or even opposite of each other like I can be so angry at my body or you know frustrated or you know the quote like bad emotions that people like to steer away from in society but then also be extremely grateful that like I have access to, um, you know, medical health insurance. I, you know, I watched my mom struggle with chronic illness my whole life and she didn't have health insurance. And so I know like there's other, you know, I'm like, I know it could be worse or um, like I have extreme privilege in, in many ways and I'm an educated white woman uh, seeking care. Like I, I know I'm going to be taken a little bit or a lot more seriously, unfortunately, than say a a woman of color or someone who doesn't speak English fluently. Um, So there's a lot of different feelings I have constantly. And again, it's kind of this like oscillating between grateful for what my body can still do um, while being extremely frustrated 
and kind of the chronicity of it all, just having so much pain for so long. There's some days where I'm like, oh yeah, this is like totally normal and my, like this is fine, this is fine. And then you'll get hit with a bad flare or you're just exhausted and you're like, fuck, like when is this going to end? And you're like, oh yeah, it's not going to. Never. <sighs> yeah. Um, and so I've really kind of started to lean more into the kind of newer idea of like body neutrality versus body positivity because for a long time I had a lot of hatred towards my body because I kept seeing it as like failing me. Um, and, and again, like a lot, everything I've had, except for when I've had casts on and stuff has been invisible. And even as a kid, like I was, I was disabled and I wasn't allowed to run or anything. And all the kids would be like, oh my God, you're so lucky that you don't have to run. And I was like, you're so lucky that you can walk and not be in excruciating pain, (laughs) you know? Um, so it was just, it's getting to the point where now I can be like, you know what, thank you to my body for doing what it can or all the times that it's, you know, kept me alive, literally. Um, but also knowing that I don't have to love it all the time. Um, so that's been really helpful. But it, it, there's just so many mixed up emotions. And I would say in the last year or two, especially as I've, again, kind of stepped into owning my experiences and being a little bit more open and vocal, um about what's actually going on because I always thought I had to like you know hide it and tough it out and not let anyone know because I was afraid of being dramatic or whatever um that I can just kind of slow down um and in doing so and being more open you know I've it's been an interesting kind of litmus test for what kind of relationships I still want in my life there are people in my life who I will always love but who can't really handle my chronic illnesses or pain um you know they just want me to have a good attitude and pray it away or whatever it might be versus the people who show up and say wow this seems really hard how are you doing um like let me take something off your plate you know and and just they may not understand it but they try to be present for it and so it's just been kind of an interesting division I would say of who do I really trust with my actual real feelings and who might i maybe move more to a surface level interaction um so it's it's very dynamic as is you know living with chronic illness and pain things change day to day um but it's definitely been an adjustment for sure um just even around you know like where I put my worth uh I used to put so much of my identity into like my academic or professional success and like I had to be the best at this or that, or I had to perform um, in order to be worthy. And so I've done a lot of work around like, okay, where where is my internal ableism? Where can I break this down? I don't have to be productive to be worthy. Um, so it's an ongoing thing. I am, you know, there's no destination to arrive at, but some days are better than others. Some months are better than others. And then there, you sometimes you get hit out of the blue with a weird emotional day or a big pain flare and you're in the bathtub crying and, you know, really pissed off at the world. So it just depends. <laughs> I, I, I would love to keep kind of on this, this thought of the internalized ableism. I'd love to chat real quick about, um, this is actually not in our notes, but mm-hmm. it's, it's came up as you were talking. <clears throat> I would love to chat about your relationship with the word disabled Mm. um, because that's been, it's been a really interesting journey for me Mm -hmm. um, because by by ADA definition, I am disabled. 
I have mm-hmm. an entire system of organs that does not work. Um, and so it's interesting, but it's, it's interesting because like you for sure don't look at me and think like, oh, she is disabled. Um, I don't, and it's been really interesting because I don't necessarily feel like I am, mm-hmm. but I am. And it's been, a, it's an interesting like learning and unlearning of what does someone who is disabled look like? What does disability mm-hmm. look like? What does that mean? Um, so I'm just wondering if, if you've had a similar journey. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I know that as a kid, like, you know, having all of these surgeries and, you know, decreased mobility and having to use different mobility aids throughout your life, like you have sort of woven in and out of visible versus invisible illness and disability. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really curious to hear like kind of your thoughts on yeah. just like grappling with the fact that you are disabled. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it took a while for me to even say like, oh yeah, I am disabled because it, it, it basically it's like imposter syndrome. It's like, oh, but I'm not just yeah. like, I'm not sick enough or I'm not like disabled enough. Um, and whatever that is, it's like these weird social pressures and um, it just, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like, there's just so many microaggressions constantly, um, you know, implicit, explicit, like, uh, um, you know, it's a very, children are not always kind, adults are not always kind, um, and they expect you to like, they expect their world understanding to be like, oh, I look at you and you are, you know, fit into my box of what disabled is. And one of the things that always kills me is when people say like, oh, but you don't look sick or like, and I'm like, that's not, that's not a compliment. Like they say it as if like, oh, but you look great. Um, I'm like, what do you think a sick person looks like? Do I need to, you know, have lost my hair or be like extremely frail? Like there are so Apparently many. Apparently you need to look like me in my senior year of college. When <laughs> Noted. You look horrible. Yeah, send me like, some pictures. Like, are you sick? You look terrible. And I'm like, Ugh. thanks. That was yeah. the. That also is I not really needed. Yeah, it's like people need to just like <laughs> shut up sometimes, you know? Like we don't some thoughts are inside thoughts. They don't need to come on the outside. <laughs> Literally. Um, but yeah, it, it was interesting too, because like as I look back on, you know, times where I've been more visibly disabled, right? Like I had a disabled placard for years and um and whenever I had casts or crutches or you know, whatever mobility aid I had people t- were like, oh yeah, clearly she she is disabled. And, and they also assumed that I had just like broken my ankle in soccer or something. And I was like, I've never run a mile. That's not possible. Um, but yeah, it, it's so, and then when I have all these invisible things, it's like, I almost feel like I have to prove myself constantly. But then at the same time, I'm fighting this narrative where I'm like, I don't owe you shit. Like, I don't need to prove anything to you, you know? Um, But I have had, you know, even when I had my disabled placard, which again, there can be so many reasons why someone has that. um, I have been like yelled at by adult men and women so many times. Like when I was in college, I had my placard and I would park downtown and it was so painful to walk. Um, And they'd be like, you can't take that place. Like you're just using your your grandma's ball and, you know, like swearing at me and all this stuff. And I, like, at fir- the first few times, I was like, oh, my God, this is horrible. Like, should I move my car? And then after a while, I was like, you know, I would kind of just yell back, like, okay, cool. Uh, way to make assumptions or, you know, whatever weird, whatever mood I was in, how spicy I felt that day, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's it's really weird. And, and, again, it's like this constant battle feeling like you have to almost, like, prove it. 
Um, Mm -hmm. Which we should never have to prove if we're sick or not. Um, Or like what weird test is there to be like, yep, yep, okay, that's enough. Yep, you hit the bar, you're now disabled. Um, So it's, it's just so frustrating. And then there's all the like layers of, you know, who do you tell and when and again even just in personal relationships but then professionally it's like how do you navigate all that and it's just such a mess so yeah I mean I'm speaking (laughs) like as as someone who does not have any of these issues I feel like you do not owe it to (laughs) other people to tell them like what your problem is Mm -hmm. like it is your personal experience and if you have an issue it you have it like it's not right it's not something you need to justify but at the same time i'm curious how you do explain it to people for instance you have a chronic pain how do you explain that to someone like me who mm-hmm. not me specifically that would be like oh i have headaches too like how <laughs> how do you nuance that to people when you do need them to understand honestly it, it feels kind of like a, a different language that i've learned like there's almost an art to it and it's completely case by case um like I can get a vibe real quick where I'm like all right I'm not telling this person anything you know or I'll be like yep it's actually very medically complex like uh but you know what how about those niners or whatever you know like what are you cooking this weekend like just change the subject because I'm like I don't have the mental capacity or like I'm not doing this emotional labor for you today like I don't need to explain this to you And then there are people, like, friends who are genuinely curious, like, oh, my God, what is it like? And I'm like, it's like waking up when you have a bad flu or you sprained your ankle or whatever. It's like that's how I feel waking up every day. Like, my baseline is, like, like the pain scale to me, you know, tangent real quick. Pain scales, whenever the doctors ask, are, like, complete bullshit to me for a lot of reasons. It's so subjective. (laughs) Um, But also, like, my baseline is, like, usually somewhat like a healthy person's four or five or like you know what what might cause say a friend to call in sick to work is how I go to work every day and even just saying that out loud again it's like this constant narrative that I have to battle because I'm like oh my god I sound so dramatic saying that and it's like what is it with the idea that like I'm being dramatic or whatever and my husband is constantly telling me now like over and over he's like Jenna it's not dramatic it's your reality (laughs) like but again I've been made to feel so um just invalidated and questioned and made to feel crazy. And again, in the medical field, like doctors have made me feel that way, but also my peers and even family members, um, because it can be really hard, I think, for people to wrap their head around something being chronic if their experience has really only been like, oh, I get sick and I get better, or I get injured and I heal. Um, So it's really, it's like a whole different kind of reality, like a whole new view. Um, so it is hard to explain. And again, I, I, I've kind of gotten this art down of when and who to share some of that with. Um, but especially based on people's responses, I quickly adjust. Um, if they're going in the realm of, oh, but at least you don't have this, or, you know, everything happens for a reason, then I'm like, all right, that conversation is done. (laughs) You know, it's, (laughs) So it's really, it's a very nuanced topic. And honestly, it's like, I wish I had just like a straightforward formula. But that goes into the, you know, the many emotional loads that people with chronic illness and pain have to carry is like, 
constantly navigating situations that other people don't think about. Um, you know, for a long time, I really felt like I had, I was living like a double life. Um, and I just, that's again, one of the reasons why I am stepping into it now, because it was fucking exhausting to pretend to be healthy all the time, to not only try to keep up with my healthy peers or coworkers or whatever, but make sure I like excelled um, to make myself like indispensable and a high performer so that, you know, heaven forbid, if I do get sick or this or that, like I have a credibility bank I can pull from and they won't think I'm just flaky or whatever. So it's, it's just, you know, a lot of tiring things. And so I've kind of now said, fuck it. I am going to be honest about where I'm at to an extent, of course, without owing anyone anything, but I'm not, I'm not going to put on this face anymore where I'm pretending that everything is okay. Um, I'm not going to pretend that I'm not in pain. Like I have, that has ended me up in the, landed me in the hospital many times, um, where I just try to blend in, you know, go for a fun weekend away or something with girlfriends. And then I come home and end up in the ER. So I'm just, I'm done doing that. I found too, that like some things are easier to explain than others. Mm-hmm. Um, like I do think like, like for example, endo is kind of hard because it is so related to like pain levels and you know you get people mm-hmm. that are like oh well yeah I also have bad periods and you know, I also kind of want to be like I mean not the same thing but also like I, I, technically that's not really you're not really supposed to have that bad of periods so, like maybe I right. should also get checked out but then like compared it's to it's common but not normal like don't. exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly um but then like versus the ulcerative colitis where like <laughs> over the years I finally just like I just I, I've just lost all like wh- fucks basically mm-hmm. um and if someone is just like really being like whatever I'll just be like oh well I just literally spent 75 percent of my day shitting my brains yep. out and then they're like oh mm-hmm. and I'm like mm-hmm yeah so yeah I used to like block off my calendar at work (laughs) to be like oh that's gonna be a bad day I'm gonna make it seem like I'm in meetings all day right exactly so yeah me in the toilet exactly this is why we invest in good toilet paper yes um but yeah like it's like some of those things are easier to Mm -hmm. like get people to at least like if even if they don't understand to at least get them to shut the fuck up about yeah or like like with endo it's like oh yeah especially with women women who like who menstruate they're like oh yeah i've had some bad periods or like cramps or this or that like but it's like it's so much more than that it's a full body inflammatory disease that you know, acts almost like a cancer, like it metastasizes, it has its own sorts of blood vessels and blood supply, it takes over organs, like all my organs were like stuck together and like have masks on them and like attached to my abdominal wall. I'm like, this is not just a bad period. This is literally like destroying your insides and it grows everywhere. Like it's just, and then even with like my hypermobility and stuff, people are like, oh my gosh, what I would give to be more flexible. And I'm like, uh no this it's not the same it's like constant dislocation and then your muscles like try to hold it in place so then you get really oddly tight and like it's really painful like there you know there's like so many people are always trying to find the good in situations or like oh I wish I had that or 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 they're just trying to downplay it like again like with the oh yeah like everyone gets a bad period like what you know suck it up kind of thing like rub some dirt in it fuck off um, <laughs> so all right so you you did bring up 
like jobs and workplaces Mm -hmm. and this is like one of my biggest chronic illness rant points so (laughs) I would love to just chat about our experiences in like traditional workplace settings because and I think that and I think that that COVID really threw this into stark relief Mm -hmm. that the traditional workplace is not fucking set up for disabled people no it's not fucking set up for chronically ill people the like traditional nine to five you sit your ass in your office you sit your ass in your cubicle for eight hours a day and you only get up for your 30 minute lunch break and your 15 minute like afternoon break that's Mm -hmm. not fucking set up Mm -hmm. for people who are not healthy able-bodied people um or like neurotypical people let's mm-hmm. also throw that in there like it is not made for neurodiverse people so basically it's not set up for like a solid like probably 80 percent of the population also not so. really made for parents like let's throw that no! in too you know just no <laughs> basically oh like God, if no. you're a living human being with any kind of like dynamic piece of your life it's not made for you <laughs> which is such no. bullshit and like yes there are uh, there, you know, there are legal protections like in place. Yeah, technically, that, you know that they technically that employers have to make accommodations for you. But you know, in my experience, so my biggest accommodation that I always have to ask for um, is I my my main medication is given to me via IV infusion mm-hmm. every. Now it's every four weeks. It used to be every six weeks, and we've had to move it up to every four weeks. Um, and it takes like. It, the actual infusion itself of the medication is two hours, but it takes like the whole appointment is basically the whole morning because mm-hmm. they have to go in and they have to weigh you and measure out the right medication and do pre-meds and get you set up and blah, 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 blah. Um, and then <clears throat> the meds themselves like knock me out the rest of the day. Like I feel like I have the flu. They <sighs> give me this IV Benadryl. It knocks me out the rest of the day. So infusion days are really, really hard. And it's a, it's a whole day and I really can't work. Um, I learned that early on. Like I cannot basically plan to do anything the rest mm-hmm. of the day on an infusion day. And so I always have to ask and say, well, I don't <laughs> ask. I say, this is the accommodation that I need every four weeks. And I always I always try to be as accommodating to my employer as possible by scheduling mm-hmm. them on Fridays, which are typically not as busy. Um, and, you know, and also give some consistency. But I'll say like every four weeks, I need this day off. I will do what I can if it's absolutely necessary, but I you pretty much need to con- just consider that I'm not around and I'm not available. Mm-hmm. Um, and while my employers have always given me that accommodation, the, the, the accommodation of like, I'm going to then respect that you don't feel good and that I need to leave you alone right. and I'm not gonna act bratty about the fact that I have to work around this accommodation is not always the case what you mean you're not just like on vacation on all those fridays that you're like it's so much fun right i'm not at the beach weird <laughs> but like so much fun having them just like yeah. first of all have to like try to get the iv in my arm sometimes <sighs> multiple times because i have shitty veins and then yeah. like to feel like shit the rest of the day i don't know it seems like a lot of fun to me <laughs> Right. Yeah. Like, they act like I'm, like, out here, like, oh, I'm going shopping right. instead of... Yeah. I was working. on disability earlier this year, and the amount of people who were like, hope you're enjoying your time off, I was like, what? No! I feel like actual shit. Like, this is not fun at all. <sighs> Asshole. Thanks. Yeah. Cool. 
Yeah. It's like people yeah. who say like paternity or maternity leave is it like, oh, enjoy your vacation. It's like, okay, yeah, let me just adjust <laughs> to life with a whole new human being. Okay. Oh. And if you're breastfeeding, that's like chewing your tits off. Like, like that's <laughs> <laughs> Megan, Megan breastfed, so she's like, yeah, <laughs> I get that. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's really, um, I think that, I, and I do think that COVID's been good in mm-hmm. giving a better understanding of the fact that people can work from home. Like, all of these years, we were just willfully ignoring the fact that you can do a whole last job from home right. without ever setting foot in an office space. Mm-hmm. And we were just unwilling to give disabled people that accommodation. Right. And I think about like a fight. Like two jobs ago, I was I had a really international portfolio of um, teams I was supporting. And, you know, I would be in the office talking to people in Southeast Asia or in South America or wherever. And I'm like, why do I have to be here to do this? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, granted, sometimes I was at home doing it because it would be like a 4 a.m. call or a 10 p.m. call. So then they'd be like, okay, you can take it from home. I was like, well, thank you. That, you know, ooh, really pulled out all the stops for me there. Um, yeah, it's just so interesting. And being home for the last two and a half years, I was able to work remotely for my last job. And it was so interesting not having to fake it like on my bad days um, because in most of my roles, I've done a lot of like workshops and facilitating and community kind of work um, or like interacting with different um, elected officials or executives. And so I've always had to like be on my A game. And so I got so good at faking that I was not in pain. And like, I might just like do a quick throw up in the bathroom and like run back on over and be like, all right guys, next agenda item. And then now being remote, you know, here and of course I was still facilitating quite a bit, but I could turn off my camera or, you know, share my screen or whatever. Or if I wasn't the facilitator, half the time I'd be in fetal position and then, you know, like press unmute and be like, yep, the, uh, actually the new legislation around that is blah, 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 blah. And then uh, like mute again and lay back down. Um, and that was such a godsend to be able to just do what my body needed and still be highly productive. You know, I was managing many projects, but just to be like, oh my God, I don't have to put on this face. I don't have to be wearing business attire. <laughs> like I don't, I can just be in my sweatpants, which was such a relief. But then at the same time, my most recent job was pretty, um, I mean, it was, I was working for the government. And so it was like, you had very set hours. Um, There, I mean, just the idea of working remotely was like a big leap for many government agencies. And so that, that I feel like totally changed the game for many folks. But the idea of maybe having more of a flexible schedule wasn't really an option. And for me, like a lot of my energy or just even brain capacity, like uh, many of my, um, issues in the last year or so, I mean, physical, of course, but we're really presenting uh, cognitively. And I was having so much brain fog, extreme fatigue, and it was unpredictable. So like, I might have to be on a call at 8am, but like, I feel like I'm dying. But then I get such a burst of like, all right, I'm healthy, I have energy at like 5pm when everyone else logs off. So it's just like, needing accommodations like that where it's like can I work when you know my body's working for me and trying to explain that to people that it might be unpredictable and trying to like now as I look for new jobs like have it be more deliverable based because I've never dropped the ball I've never like not gotten a deliverable done or you know I was doing so much writing in my last job whether it be grant proposals or policies or whatever and like I just couldn't do that all the time within traditional business hours um 
So now I'm definitely looking for that kind of deliverable based, not expectation that it's just like butts in the seat kind of old school mentality. Like I want them to hopefully value me for the expertise that I can bring, um, but also know that I'm a human and I'm balancing a lot of different things. And that being said, I really struggle with like, how much do you tell to an employer? Because like you said, Steffi, it's like technically there are protections, right? But that doesn't mean that you're going to, you know, like you might be like looked past for a new opportunity because maybe it's going to involve some travel or um, or it's going to have consistent morning meetings or whatever. And then that's like a a ding in your career path. Um, Right. Whatever excuse they'll give. Yes. And you know that that's the really the thing. Yeah. And I, I mean, I worked my ass off for years to, like I said earlier, like to be kind of indispensable. And part of that was, you know, a big piece of fear from, um, from chronic illness, like wanting that credibility bank or whatever you want to call it. But also like I, I came from so much fear of like, I need to have good health insurance. I need to make good money. Like I grew up in a low income single mom household, you know, like all these things. Like I was like, I have to protect myself. I have to have stability. And if I do anything to show any sign of weakness, like that could be ripped out from under me at any time. Um, which just is not an option when you have chronic illness because you need that health insurance. Um, and now luckily, you know, I'm married and systems are set up where if you're married, you can go on your partner's insurance. So I'm taking a little bit of time off and I have never felt more lucky to be in a position financially, um, you know, access to care, all that stuff to be able to actually take a few months off and really kind of reevaluate what I'm looking for in a new job and make sure that I don't end up somewhere where I'm going to have the struggles I've had in the past um, and not just be caught up in that like hustle culture or the grind and like I want to be somewhere where they value I mean I've had wonderful bosses and teams don't get me wrong but really value that not everything is black and white and we can do things differently moving forward and I can disabled people can still add great value even if it doesn't look the exact same as their coworkers. 1000% I would also add too like you and I know what our legal rights are like we have familiarized ourselves with what uh what is legally required of employers Mm -hmm. um and i actually just i like i just experienced this with one of my friends who was pregnant recently and like she they like weren't necessarily making an accommodation for her um and i was like nope mm -mm, mm -mm." Mm -hmm. like i literally went and i pulled it up and i was like by law they have the employer has to do x y and z for you because you are pregnant she was like oh wow i was like yeah i you know i've had to familiarize myself with this and uh, but i it's stuff i didn't even like know Mm -hmm. when i was first diagnosed and because i was so it was i was diagnosed right before my senior year of college and I ended up being forced to quit from my RA job because they didn't want to make the accommodations oh, for me. And because yep. they ba- they basically sat me down and they said, well, you can resign right now or we will fire you. Jeez. And I did not know at the time that what they were doing was completely illegal. Um, I later found out from my um, uncle who's a corporate lawyer and specializes in mm-hmm. uh, like employment stuff that he was like oh yeah uh-huh that's super illegal like you could sue the pants off of them at that right. point i was like i don't have the energy to do that but like, <laughs> yeah now, or access to resources to pay a lawyer to do that <laughs> like right exactly yeah um now i would have 
chewed their ass up mm-hmm. one side down the other spit them out i'd have taken them for all that they were worth but at the time i had no idea right uh, and so you know like there's just a level of um you know and i think after you've after you've lived with this stuff for a number of years you know you sort of figure it out but also there's a level of privilege that you know you have the ability to research these things and mm-hmm. things out and you have access to the internet like i think like you know, it is just, I, I just want to keep reiterating that Jenna and I have very specific privileges that yeah. have aided us, even though we've been through some shitty things, no pun intended in my case, <laughs> um, like we do have a lot of privilege attached to us that has made things easier along the way in some ways. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. And like, I just think too, I'm like, okay, I, you know, I am a white woman, middle income, like have a graduate degree, you know, like all these things that like add to my privilege. And I've worked in quote unquote, like professional settings, whether it be corporate America or the government or whatever. And I've often had to very much educate HR. um, And I've learned that HR is not necessarily on the side of the employees. They are there to protect the company or (laughs) the organization. Um, And like, well, technically there are these laws, doesn't mean you're not going to piss off the people when you actually ask for the accommodations. And Ooh, yeah, it can be real weird. Um, but yeah, I think about like, what about the single mom or dad who's working at McDonald's and is struggling, you know, and they get in California legally like three sick days a year. Like, are you kidding me? Um, and whether or not they have access to lawyers or uh, like you said, like looking these things up and even just trying to make sense of like some of the legal jargon that I've gone through and I'm like, what the hell? And I'll like send it to some of my lawyer friends and I'm like, I have lawyer friends I can call. You know, it's just, there's mm-hmm. so it's so layered and so complex and it should be straightforward in many instances, but there are so many loopholes and workarounds or like weird technicalities that employers can basically use against you, right? And it's, mm-hmm. it's really icky. And so that's where, you know, I was saying before, it's like, wanting to own it but then also and knowing you are legally allowed to have accommodations but then also like not wanting to limit yourself or have any reason to like be on the chopping block for them whether it's a project or your actual job right so I just yeah I it's that weird feeling of like I feel so lucky so privileged and then also like fuck we shouldn't still be having these conversations I'm curious if you're seeing aside from the shift to working from home that everyone, everyone mostly, I should say, (laughs) is very much accepting of working from home as they should be because also we get more work done at home. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm curious if you are seeing a gradual shift at all in people's perceptions towards chronic illness. Um, so I think on paper, yes, but I think in practicality or execution, no. Um, I think people, I think people are trying and by people, I mean, some people, um, I think large organizations, they know they like have to (laughs) almost, you know, or like just to be competitive if they're an employer, um, they have to often say this or that or have groups or policies or whatever. But when rubber hits the road, like they want productivity and they want it to be predictable. Um, and then again even like just in my personal life like I said like I've it's kind of been a dividing factor of like who is willing to step up and learn or unlearn like Steffi was saying like it's a really an interesting kind of mental battle of like 
learning a whole new language, trying to empathize with different people. Um, and, and then there's the people who just kind of don't want to go there and just want to gloss it over and like, be like, hope you're doing better. Get well soon. And you're like, thanks. I won't. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so it's just, it's, it's kind of all over the place. I want to say that like, my optimistic side wants to say yes. But then again, what I see on the internet, what I see on my newsfeed, et cetera, that's all curated on algorithms to show me what I already see, right? So mm-hmm. I, my experiences, it's completely mixed. Um, but with people that run in sim- similar circles or who are also in the chronic illness community or who have pe- loved ones who are, I do think that there is an expanding definition and acceptance of understanding that pain or illnesses can be very complex and come in, you know, present in different ways. So that has been really positive for me um, in slowly letting people in on my reality, Um, which even like doing this today was, you know, I had to like kind of build myself up. I was like, oh my God, this is going to be the more honest I've ever been about anything going on in my body with, and now it's like going to be public. Um, So it, it's just, it's all dependent. Um, but I think in general, we're leaning on an arc towards more understanding and acceptance personally. Professionally, very TBD. You know, I think I think COVID too has been a really interesting peek into uh, showing us, us being the chronically ill and disabled <laughs> human beings of the world, um who can be trusted and who can't mm-hmm. <clears throat> based on their response to well it's just it's just the people with comorbidities who die oh my god and you're like you're like hi that's me I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> I, you know where you literally have family members who are like whatever I, it's yeah. more important for me to not mask or not get a vaccine than it is to do the bare fucking minimum right while we're sitting here with like comorbidities and medicines that like put you into immunocompromised categories like no right and like literally having to opt out of Mm. family activities or holidays Mm -hmm. or not go to things because people don't give a flying fuck like it's it's been really interesting to see that and then on the other hand then on the other hand to see the people who are more than willing to keep you safe yes people who are more than willing to be your bubble people who are willing to mask who are willing to take tests who Mm -hmm. are you know excited to get vaccinated because they know that they're protecting themselves and you like yeah it's been very interesting to see those two different sides of it yeah and i think that's where some of my like pessimism has come from and and or i guess mixed right like like you were saying like the people it's a clear division like the people who want to show up and protect you and then the people who are like whatever and i guess as a whole i've just been on the more like uh, pessimistic and depressed side of, you know, especially what the United States has done in proving like, you know what, people are going to do what they want to do and they're acting selfish and they're not showing up for their community. And that to me has felt like a big burn for people who are immunocompromised, um, or who are living, you know, with disabilities, because it's like, wow, at the end of the day, people are just going to look out for themselves. And that's kind of been a larger message I've received. And then of course there are people in our lives who I think who have just blown me away with showing up and being careful and safe 
Um, but it's it's been a real eye opener. And that's where I think I am very questionable about like, you know, we maybe we've won some battles and lost some professionally because workplaces are a little more accommodating here or there with different kinds of things or flexibility. But then at the same time, you've seen as a whole as society, we've kind of been like, eh, screw it. Let's move on with our lives. Um, so it's... I'm bored. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I have so many mixed feelings and, and changes day to day where if I'm like, oh, I'm having a hopeful day today or like, ah, oh, shit, burn it down. <laughs> so, Yeah. I mean, the fact that you have, can have hopeful days is a positive. I try. <laughs> you don't want to just burn it down every fucking I day. mean, it has been my phrase of this year. My t- <laughs> it sounds terrible, but I get this, like, really, like, hoarse voice. And my two phrases have been, like, I hate everyone and burn it down. <laughs> um, but that sounds then, right. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, on the outside, everyone, like, sees me and they're like, oh, look at this bubbly, happy human. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I swear I can be nice. I'm not just a total ogre. So... <laughs> Uh, okay, I I just want to hit on like one more topic yeah. before we kind of get to the end and some like words of advice. Um, I would love to, there's so many ways we could go with like mm-hmm. other things we could we could about. talk Maybe forever back again. <laughs> we literally could, um, but I'd love to just kind of chat about like the well-intended but ultimately harmful comments mm. and questions that people say and ask. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just as a little bit of background, I mean, I think there's already so much like guilt or fear of appearing flaky or whatever like that comes with navigating disability and chronic illness um this idea that we like always have to show up 100 percent and or that you know things have to be split 50 50 or fair whatever like I always have so much fear not with my good friends but like um you know like not being like appearing selfish or being a bad friend and then so when people say things or bad sister or whatever it might be you know fill in the blank Mm -hmm. um I, I always fear, like, that I'm going to be a broken record or, like, even when I'm just trying to take care of myself. Um, and so then when people say things that often are well-intended but really just kind of reinforce that fear of mine, it, it just constant it's like that, it's reinforcing this messaging that I've had my whole life that, like, your worth is in your productivity. You have to be positive. You have to show up all the time. Um, taking care of yourself is selfish. And it's like, you know, I've been fighting that. Again, thank you, therapy. I cannot emphasize that enough. Anyone going through something similar, please get a good therapist. Um, but it's hard when they're, you know, saying like, oh, like they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, I hear you. Like they're asking how you're doing. And they're like, okay, well, you know, just stay positive. Just, and I'm like, so you're just, re- okay, but that's hard when, you know, I don't have an answer right now. Or that like someone's not, you know, they're not just saying like, wow, that sounds difficult. Or again, like the get well soon. It's like, do you not understand the nature of the word chronic? Like I might feel better tomorrow a little bit and then I might have a really hard day the next day or like, um, yeah, the whole don't, you don't look sick or my God, this one kills me that at least you don't have this. And I'm like, okay, you guys, I thought we were done with comparative suffering. Like it can, yes, I'm not terminal, but like it can still really suck to be going through this pain, you know? Like, what is this weird, like, checklist of things to be accepted or be like, oh, okay, yeah, you don't have to come to that social event. It's like, I should just be able to say no, like, I'm not feeling well or, like, catch you next time or can we reschedule it without feeling this, like, immense guilt and, you know, people checking in on you and, again, well-intentioned, but 
can cause real harm and reinforce the idea that we're still expected to put on a smile all the time and make things rosier than they might actually be. I think people are really uncomfortable sitting with someone's uh, messier feelings or experiences um, unless they've really practiced that. I, I think as a culture, we really shy away from anger, grief, um, frustration, you know, anything that's not on the you know positive end of the spectrum or whatever. But it's like all of those feelings are human experiences and completely valid. So all that to say, I don't know if I'm making sense here, but it's just, um, I just wish people would kind of stop before they said like definitive phrases and instead ask more open-ended questions or just even just say like, hey, if they, you know, if they don't want to get into it, they can be like, I really hope that, you know, you're having your better days are outweighing your hard days or whatever, like kind of acknowledging that we have hard days and that it's not like just going to magically get better. Um, I mean, I could go on and on, but people, again, say the weirdest shit. And, <laughs> and like, it's almost like, I'm like, like I said earlier, it's like, just keep that to yourself. Like, why are, or it's like oddly invasive or just brushes it over. Like, it's just, you know, everyone's different. And, and even if they, of course, they're not trying to be malicious. Like, that would, I'd immediately be like, all right, we're not friends anymore. But it's like, even, even well-intentioned things, right? We see this with anti-racism work. We see this with all sorts of microaggressions or, like sexism, whatever, it's like you can be well-intended and cause real harm. Um, I mean, even if you like step on my foot on accident, you're still going to say sorry, right? (laughs) So like if you step on my feelings or invalidate my experiences or expect me to show up in a certain way, if you care about me, like try to do some work and learn about what it might be like and you can come back and do better. Yeah. So... As we kind of close out here, um, do you have any words of advice for someone who is, you know, facing a new diagnosis? Mm. Yes and no, because obviously each diagnosis is different. Everyone's experiences are different. So I don't want to say one thing. Everything goes with a grain of salt, right? But I would definitely say, like, find your community. Um, I've been blown away. I kind of, like, hate social media. But I've been blown away, and one of the reasons why I stay on it is because of the online community of many of the illnesses that I have, and being able to share experiences um, and support with each other has been hugely helpful for me. Um, And then similarly, again, around the support, like, if you can afford it, invest in a therapist who has expertise with chronic illness or medical trauma. Um, that has been made a huge difference for me because I, I really felt like I had to carry a lot of this burden alone or I didn't know how or when to speak up. Um, and then, you know, don't be afraid to offend medical providers. You know, you, like, you know your body best. Um, and a lot of times these kind of more specialized fields or whatever, it's like, yeah, they're a doctor, but maybe they only got one or two hours of a lecture on this particular thing like 20 years ago. Um, so, you know, don't be afraid to ask for another opinion or ask to, for documentation, especially if they're refusing a test or um, imaging or anything like that. And then my favorite lately, <laughs> whenever they kind of dismiss something is, yeah, can you explain your differential diagnosis um, whenever they dismiss something? <laughs> and then they're like, oh, shit, she knows medical words. Um and then if she things use the big words. Yeah, yeah. And then if things get really bad, I've done this a couple times, is filing formal complaints with member services. I swear it's like like I said earlier, 
the squeaky wheel gets the grease sometimes and that shouldn't be the way that it is obviously it's like because again I have the privilege of time understanding how to navigate these systems um feeling confident that I can go up against you know the man or whatever like it, so really just trying to own your space and making sure you do advocate for yourself and knowing that there are multiple avenues to ensure you're getting the level of care that you deserve and need um and then at the end of the day really just like giving yourself permission to feel whatever you need to feel regardless of if people are around you are kind of on that toxic positivity train of oh you're you know it'll be fine it's all gonna work out it's all for a reason it's like there's gonna be good days and there's gonna be hard days there's gonna be days where you're so hopeful and there's gonna be days where you're just dreading everything so you know allowing yourself to feel that process it and then you can you know hopefully move on with your day and not have it build these kind of internal resentments do you have any words of advice for loved ones of someone who was just diagnosed (laughs) How much time do we have? <laughs> um, no, seriously, though. Um, yeah, I think, like I was mentioning before, kind of around the harmful statements, it's like focusing on listening to understand uh, how they feel or like learn about their experiences or their conditions. It's like you have Google literally in your hands, you know, like, and don't don't use that as if you now understand, but it's like you can do a little bit of homework, you know, like you can try to understand maybe some of the things that might be happening in their body. Um, Or, you know, don't give advice. Don't make assumptions. Don't, like, try to compare whether it's your experience or, like, some, you know, second cousin once had this and then they did this and they're magically cured. It's, like, everyone is different. A lot of these things are so complex and nuanced. Um, And then just really understanding that chronic illness can be so unpredictable and dynamic. So it's, like, yeah, you might see me out on a Saturday, like looking healthy and happy and like thriving and like living my best life. And then what you don't see is on Monday, me spending like eight hours in the ER, you know, so it's like, or or I might have to cancel plans last minute and I'm not being flaky. It's just things change on a dime. Um, so it's like just really leaning into like believing people, showing up for them, asking questions, letting them know that you support them, like no matter what version of themselves they might be that day. Thank you so much for coming on here and for being super open and honest in a way that you haven't before, Jenna. I know oh. it is. I know that we are such scary people. So <laughs> Terrifying. Thank you for facing us oh. <laughs> and joining us today. I definitely had anxiety dreams about this all last night. I swear, I was like, Oh no! Oh my god! Because <laughs> I are the least people you should be. Oh no, not about, about you guys, just about talking about it. Because like I swear, like again, whether it's explicit or implicit, I feel like I've just been trained to like not talk about pain or things that like don't yeah. have a light at the end of the tunnel. You know. Well, I hope that I hope that this broke the ice for you. <laughs> yes, you can feel more comfortable about it. And now, Absolutely. If, now, if you just have people that are like, I don't get it, you can just send them this. Yeah, I'll be like, here you go. There, that's all you need. Thank have you. Have a listen. Yeah, I have a no, resource for you. And it, and it's I mean it really is. It's like I said, finding the community is so helpful. And so it's like if this even helps one person like feel more ownership over their health or like their relationships or workplace or whatever, like then every single word here is has been worth it, right? Like, it's so cathartic for me to finally start talking about, but at the end of the day, like, we need to, as a society, you know, Megan, you were saying, like, how do, how do you feel about where people are going generally? It's like, 
We need, we need more of this conversation. We can't just be hiding it or trying to mask it in all positive thoughts all the time. It's like, if, if my positive thoughts could heal this, I would have been healed a long time ago. So. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, to wrap up here, what is bringing you joy this week, Jenna? Yeah, it's, it's a good week. Um, and, you know, as you can tell by all my answers, I tend to have a lot of thoughts. Um, so a lot of things are <laughs> bringing me joy this week. So my garden is in full bloom. Um, I have a big vegetable garden, um, and I've been eating out of it every day, so that's been delightful. Um, and I've been kind of diving back into my creative side of my brain, which I've, I feel like I've had to silence in a lot of ways in the last few years professionally. And so I've been helping, you know, friends and family, um, and actually my backyard too, but design and build really beautiful outdoor spaces. And that is just such a release for me. And then we're also going to Maui this week. I'm so excited. Um, and we're going to be celebrating one of my nephew's first birthdays. He, um, he was a micro preemie last year. So he was teeny, 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 and he's turning one. So we're so excited to you know, go on vacation, just kind of relax, celebrate him. And then my other nephew's birthday is two weeks later. So I'm like, oh my God, give me all the little babies. And they're, these are both their first birthdays. And then I have some uh, nieces who are older, but so yeah, two little babies, two weeks apart. They're the cutest cousins. So I've just been buying like way too many cute baby things and, you know, buying way too many bathing suits. So how many bathing suits is too many for a week in Maui? I would say that you probably need a new one every day. Perfect. Obviously. Great. Okay. I definitely have like a two to one ratio right now of bathing suits <laughs> to days. So I've got yeah, options. I mean, I mean maybe, if you wear maybe one in the morning. morning. Got it. Yeah. yeah. And then you don't want to wear a wet one in the evening. Of, exactly. Because right. that could give you like crotch. We yeah. That. No, 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 no. Yeah. So got to yeah, keep it clean. Two per day. Perfect. Two per day. Okay. Then I'm right on track. <laughs> We'll help you justify anything. We're yes. the biggest enablers. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it does help that I went to college, like, in a beach town. So I have a lot of, ba- like, a, an obscene amount of bathing suits. Meanwhile, I, like, make do with the same two for, like, five years. <laughs> like, oh, I guess maybe I'll do something. I don't go by the water, though. It's fine. Oh, Steffi. I know. I don't. I know. I don't camp. I don't do the water <sighs> thing. What about, like, really... when you come out here, can I get you on, like, a paddleboard or something? Come on. <laughs> like I've become I've like embraced like river life I'm sorry in, in like a body of water Ugh. where like I, I can't see the bottom absolutely not okay no. I'll just build a pool I'm then I'm a real bad swimmer I'll just stay by a pool I'll stay on the beach I'll watch you paddle I will watch you paddleboard <laughs> all day I'll put my feet in the water and okay. then I'll go sit and then I'll go put my feet in the water Oh, yeah, I don't get I don't get in bodies of water where I can't see the bottom. Uh, okay, that's fair. And like, luckily, I like you for a lot of other reasons. So it's not like yeah, it's, it's not my, dependent on your love of water. I was a or really camping. bad swimmer, so like the odds that I would drown while paddleboarding pretty darn high. Got so it. will just keep me alive. It's it's okay. safer. And I'm really safer. I mean, me. like just know, like I was a lifeguard for a very long time, so like you're <laughs> like you are you safe, save me. but. <laughs> I'll keep my I'll, uh, I'll keep my pride intact. To each their own or whatever. <laughs> me speaking about like peer pressure earlier and now me like get in the water. Come on. Peer pressure. <laughs> oh, Megan, what's bringing you joy? Um, I got a new shirt recently. Uh, oh, it's a good via, one. Ooh. Via TikTok. Oh, t- um, say more. 
So I uh, was deep into, I guess I still am, uh, Stranger Things TikTok. Mm. And uh, right about when the Roe v. Wade stuff happened, uh, a story popped up of a woman making a shirt um, that it's a, it's a Hellfire Club shirt, but in place of the dragon is a uterus yes. where the fallopian tubes are giving the finger. Mm. Mm-hmm. So is that your so, daily uniform now? Uh, no, it's long sleeve, so it's been too hot, Got unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, I'm very excited about the shirt. It makes me happy every time I look at it. Is it really soft? It looks like it would be it really soft. It is really soft. It's not super <gasps> thick. It's just that it's long sleeves, and I don't want to, like, sweat too much. But, um, yes. yeah. It is, I love it. It's going to be, my, like, my fall outfit, probably. Oh, I love that for you. I approve. <laughs> I approve. Stevie, what is bringing you joy? Uh, I've really been into embroidery lately, and it's my current hyper-focus, and, uh, I, so there's a gal, um, who, her platform is Badass Cross Stitch, (laughs) and she does all sorts of really great, um, just, like, activism work, and, um, she has a really awesome Patreon, um, where she's doing, like, a, uh, teaching you like a new stitch every week during the year and so and her patreon is like really affordable she's got like different levels but it's basically so she set it up in sort of a pay what you can kind of model and but everyone gets access to this like stitch along sort of situation um and so like when you join you can go back to the beginning of the year and like learn all of like the basic stitches and then she teaches you like fun new one like new things i've never done and she gives you little patterns and so i've just it's just been really fun to like do some of her patterns and like try new things and brush up on stuff that i've done before i embroidered um my jean jacket and then i got like a i went to the like kids like consignment shop or whatever and i got a little jean jacket for edie to wear this fall and i embroidered some flowers on it and so just having having a lot of fun with that i also ordered some really lovely hand dyed variegated embroidery floss yesterday so i'm very excited because that'll be coming in the mail soon that's literally like a whole different language i don't know what you just said <laughs> you, you with the embroidering and me with the camping it's like oh you can go camping and i will sit and i'll stitch things i'll stitch a tree and i'll make a happy little tree and you can look at happy little trees i've, I've seen some of I your uh, pictures of the embroidery and i am so impressed well thank you i uh, my mom was super 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 talented in pretty much all fiber arts situations hmm. so um, I definitely have just been like channeling her a lot with it lately. And like, she taught me some stuff when I was a kid, um, but I haven't done it in a while. And I was really out of practice and obviously didn't, don't have her around to teach me anymore. And so finding Shannon's, um, Patreon was, has just been really great because like the way she teaches, um, reminds me a lot of like how my mom taught me a lot of the stuff. And so it's hmm. just been, it's just been nice to like, just kind of uh finds like super approachable ways to do it and fun ways to do it and just kind of connect back with my mom a little bit there and and i i mean i have all of her embroidery floss and so uh occasionally i'll pull out a a, a floss bobbin and it'll have her the number on it where she, in her handwriting and, i don't know i just love that that's so, so special yeah so anyway that's that this is bringing me joy 
There was a lady uh, crocheting at the coffee shop last week. Love it. I was like, I could bring my crafts to the coffee shop. It changes everything. (laughs) I mean, I'll never leave. (laughs) Right. Yeah, like, I live here now. Never never get any actual work done. Hey, that's That's where I'm telling you, my camping gear would come in handy. You can live anywhere, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I love you. You're amazing. Oh, man. Uh, well, next week, we are going to talk about food blogging after, uh, you know, like three years of podcasting. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, uh, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or find us wherever you listen. Uh, you can also find us on social media at IRSI Podcast or send us an email at I'd rather stay in podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Bye.